the problem, it's me. Everybody agrees, everybody agrees. It's me. just so anticlimactic every time I come up after a song fest song. Taylor Swift. Wow. In church. Just so grateful for the team to always set me up to come up after such fun things. You know you're, uh, you know you're getting old when you no longer like the songs at your own church. And no, no offense to any Swifties, but uh, wow, it's just a lot. It's a lot going on in that song, um, a lot going on right now on my notes that are on last week's sermon, so shouldn't preach that. We're going to stay with this one, I think. All right. Just give me a second. This is very anti, uh, anti-hero of me. Uh, we're in the wrong app. There we go. Unless, unless we could just go back to last week. I could just, some of you, what I found is we should just preach the same thing over and over again because if you're like me, I don't get it the first time. You know what I mean? Anybody, anybody married in here? You have to be told a couple of times. This song, uh, Anti-Hero, when, when, they, when they presented it to me, I was like, we're gonna do, we're gonna do Taylor Swift. Okay, great. And, uh, and what I realized that I, I'm now exemplifying uh, the phrase that my two sons, Bentley and Kingston, they're 12, almost 13 and nine, They've started calling me several times uh, a week. They said, Dad, you're such a boomer. <laughs> and I, I correct them historically because I am not in the baby boomer generation. And, and they said, Dad, actually you defining that makes you even more of a boomer. <laughs> but I'm a boomer because I read the lyrics to this song and, and it made no sense to me. The only thing I got was, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. And that, that's, the, that's the message today, that, that you're the problem and that I'm the problem. And I'm realizing that, that according to my kids, as I, as I get older and they get older, I'm becoming more and more of the problem. But I, I think they're the problem. They're, they're using words that I don't get. And, and I use them first service, and, and my, uh, my sons aren't coming to third service, so I'll probably cut it out so they're not embarrassed. But they use these words, and, and I think that I should use these words so that they'll think that I'm, like, cool and, like, not a boomer. And so I start saying words like cat. Like, that's cat. No cat. And Kingston's like, it doesn't matter what inflection, what tone, or the look on your face, you sound stupid. <laughs> I want to help some, some people today that, that, that cap means fake or dishonest. It's what it means, parents and, uh, and kids, too. You could just use real words like adults called fake or honest. You don't have to say cap. I don't sound stupid saying it. Everybody sounds stupid saying it. Or they'll say, like, bro, that's bussin'. Bro, that's bussin'. It's bussin', bussin'. 
Apparently, that's like really, really great. Like, mom, that dinner was bussing. Pastor Justin, those J's are bussing. No cap. Uh, yeah, I'm getting there. One step away from a Swifty. If I tell you I'm a Swifty, that would, that would be very sus. You know what I mean? Which means suspicious or suspect. I, I'm getting old. I'm realizing I'm the problem. I, I played basketball uh, yesterday for the first time in, in a decade. And uh, it was the first time, guys, maybe, uh, or, or ladies, uh, but I think it's, it's, it's more of a guy thing. When you get to a certain age, you, you can't do what you used to could do. At 39, I still feel the same. I still see the court the same. It's just there's some disconnect between my brain and my feet. It's called age. I'm like, jump higher. There's so many plays I almost made. I was almost there. I thought about being there. And a lot of plays, game one that I made, by game three I was not making because I was tired, exhausted. I got up this morning and there were parts of me that was hurting that I didn't know were still there. It was like, is, what, what, what is this joint that, why are my ribs sore from basketball? Maybe Pastor Tyler elbowing me. I realized in some of the games I was, I was the problem. Hi, it's me, I'm the problem. The old guys here play with a bunch of 22 and 23 year olds, it was me. The point of the message today in a fun song, in a, in a fun weekend, is that, that God can and will use us, but God uses us in spite of us. He uses us in spite of us. We have to get today that, that somebody else is not the problem. The world convinces us that they're the problem, that that's the problem, that whoever on the other side of the political aisle or the morality aisle or how you think or how you act, that somebody else is always the problem. And I want to get today that, no, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. You're, you're the problem. That we don't look outside, we take a long look in the mirror. And we, we always, we always like to make somebody else the problem. Come on, you ever heard a really great sermon before, like every single week? <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding, but seriously, most weeks. You ever heard a great message, and then you like, Pastor, that was a great message. I text three people that need to hear it. Or you're elbowing like your spouse or your kids, be like, this, this is for you. Because we always like to hear what should be done by somebody else, what somebody else should change, because I'm good. I don't need to change anything. If you change, or if you move, or if you allow whatever to, to reshape you that I don't have to change me. We like to fix other people without actually looking in the mirror and, and fixing ourselves. That we have flaws that God uses us, but he uses us in spite of us. In fact, anti in the Bible, when it's defined, it means instead of, not against. That, that God's kind of gonna use in spite of us or it, it, instead of us in our natural state. He wants to do something different. The Bible is, is full of people men and women, that God used kind of in spite of themselves. Like, it wasn't because of what they had done. They didn't earn their calling. They didn't earn their place. 
they were kind of used in, in spite of themselves. I mean, you look at Matthew, one of the followers of Jesus, writes the gospel of Matthew. He was a tax collector. He would have been hated. He would have been stealing from his own people. He would have been hated more than anybody else. But there was one moment in his life where he, he changed his ways and he allowed God to enter the scene. He realized he was the problem and he chose a different direction. You look at the apostle Paul who was Saul, persecuting Christians and chasing them down and killing them. He went from killing them to, to saving them. He's not really this, this hero, center of the story, got it all together guy. He was just somebody who had an experience with Jesus, had experience with the Holy Spirit, and it changed his direction. It changed his trajectory. On the road to Damascus, he meets with the presence of the Lord and then makes some different decisions and goes a different route. We see Peter had a decision to stay uncomfortable or to drop his nets and to follow Jesus. We see David even caught in the worst moments of his life. He could have chosen sin and shame and, and guilt, but he instead chose repentance and confession and had consequences, but was still called a man after God's own heart. He, would, he wouldn't have been the person you would have picked, not only when he was anointed king, but after his poor decisions, but God restored and redeemed because he made some different decisions. These are not perfect men. These are imperfect men connected to a perfect presence of God and a perfect plan of God. They have flaws. How many of you be honest today across all of our locations and say, right by the show of your hands, come on, even the Baptists and Methodists in here, you can raise your hand in church. How many of you would say, I have some flaws? A lot of hands here. Not everybody. And if your hand's not up, that is your flaw. Awareness, humility, pride. Well, I don't know. It's a lot of, it could be a lot of different things. We have flaws. Everybody has flaws. I want you to write this down today, that God wants to use you in spite of you, but your flaws are not the enemy. Our flaws are not our enemies. We're gonna talk about how to deal with them a little bit later, but our flaws are not our enemies. First Corinthians Chapter one, let's go there and read a few verses together. Starting in verse 26, it says this. It says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Do you remember where you were when God called you? If you're, if you're new here and you haven't given your life to Jesus or you've been coming a while and you haven't been called by God yet, that hopefully that will, will be a day in your near future. But those of us who who called Jesus our Lord and Savior. Do you remember where you were before you, you met Jesus? And a lot of us were, were in a pretty tough spot when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose these things, despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and use them to bring to nothing, uh, use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. That when we're in the presence of God, we cannot boast in ourselves, we can only boast in what he's done. We can only boast in what he's provided, what he's given, what he's allowed. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. So despite our flaws, we're made right, not by our own decisions, but by Jesus' sacrifice. 
he made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. That when we brag about somebody, we don't brag about ourselves, we brag about what the presence of God has done. It says that we were powerless, but in the presence of God, we can become powerful, not because we're powerful, but because he's powerful on the inside of us. That we were foolish, and we can be wise, not because we're wise, but because the power and the presence of God can give us supernatural wisdom. Our flaws are not the enemy. Our flaws make us aware that we are sinners in need of a savior. Our flaws also, they connect us to God because we realize that we could not do it on our own. So in our weakness, in in our uh, mortality, in the places that we fall short, we see the need for a relationship with God. But people also connect to our flaws. Do you notice that oftentimes it's the common struggle that connects us to people? Come on, I'd much rather connect with somebody who's walked through something who's not perfect than somebody that we just read we should only boast about the Lord. Have you ever been around somebody that only boasts about themselves? Nobody likes you. You like you enough for everybody, so nobody else has to like you. You know what I mean? It's our flaws. It's, our, it's not our strengths. Nobody's like, oh, you got it perfect. Let's hang out together. It's, no, it's, it's our flaws, that, I, especially as Christians. It's when a world sees that we're not perfect, that we don't have it all together, but that we have access to a different thought process, a different way of life because of our relationship with Jesus. It's our flaws. That's why our testimonies are so powerful. We get to talk about who we were, what God did, and who we are now. It's not boasting in what we've done, what we've accomplished, how we've set ourselves free, how we've cleaned ourselves up, how we've moved past our mistakes. It's saying, no, 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 these were my flaws, and although I'm not perfect, I'm different, because I allowed the presence of God to change me. Our flaws are not our enemies. They actually connect us to God and connect us to others. God meets you in your flaws, but he doesn't allow you to stay there. Talk about that in just a moment. Our flaws are not our enemies. Write this down. Hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Our our part is not the main part. Our part in this story is not the main part of the story. Come on, John 3, verse 30 is so simple, but if you get this, it it will change your perspective in this life. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. For my marriage to get better, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. For my parenting to be better, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. On my journey to help others, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Problems in our life have a common denominator, and they're usually us. So what if we allowed ourselves to decrease and him to increase? He must become greater and greater, we must become less Unless the, the world tells us, the world tells us that you have to create a name for yourself. 
And God says, I've already created the name that's above every other name. There is no other name. You and I are not as important as we think we are. We do not play the main part. Jesus does. We are not the main character. Jesus is. We exist to do two things, to know God and to make him known. To love God and to love people, we are not the main thing. We are a part of the main thing. But when we put ourselves at the center and say, I'm building my thing, we cease to build the thing, and that's his thing. We're not the main part, but our part is important. Let me say it this way. We have an important part to play. We have an important part to play in a small section of a big story. And how, how that walks out is this. I'm not trying to, to burst anybody's bubble today, but Taylor Swift doesn't know who you are. I'm sure she's a great person and you love her, but has she's changed your life. Oh my gosh. I'm in a new era. Wow, she don't know you. Because the, the big characters, the, the famous people in this world that were like, I, I got to be somebody, and that, that's fine. If God elevates your platform, and that's, that's what he has for you, awesome. But we think that it's the famous people, the, the, the big, important people that make the biggest difference. And what I'm here to tell you is the people in my life that you've never heard of that made the biggest difference. You may not be famous, but you can play a big part in somebody's life, a parent, a teacher, a coach, a small group leader, just somebody that was encouraged. It's amazing. Some of the biggest investments in our lives are from the smallest people in society. You have a part to play. It's not the main part, but it's a key part, not only in your life, but your sphere of influence. You cannot discount your calling. Just don't magnify your place in the story that God is writing. We are the anti-heroes, but that doesn't mean that we can't play a big part in a small part of the story. Our flaws are not the enemy, and God really is doing something in our life. Our part is not the main part. Here's the last one, write this down. Our God can use you no matter what. Our God can use you no matter what. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 each time he said, my grace is all that you need. My power works best in your weakness. So I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. First Corinthians, Paul saying, I can only boast in the Lord. Now he's taking it a step further. That is the only thing that we boast in the strength of and in the power of. But now I boast in my weaknesses. I boast in where I fall short because it shows how much God stands in the gap, how much he fulfills when I can no longer show up. His power made perfect in my weakness. Why is, does this happen? Oftentimes it's because when power and weakness, it's because God gets the glory. If he always used our strengths, sometimes or oftentimes we would take the credit. Well, I'm just good at that. You're not good at anything God didn't give you. But sometimes when it's natural, we like to think, I just, that's me. No, that's God through you. 
God wants to do something so great in your life, but when we lose the sense of gratitude, we lose the trajectory of fulfillment and purpose. Let me say it this way. One of the most dangerous places you can be in your walk with God, in your story, is when you find yourself in a place of entitlement. That I deserve this. That I boast in what I've done. Look at my family. Look at my kids. Look at my business. Look at my small group. Look at my influence. Look at what I have done, and we begin to boast about our thing instead of his thing, and we put ourselves at the center to be praised in worship, and we also, we create almost of what we're doing an idol as opposed to building what he's building, we're building what we're building, and it's a counterfeit. God can use you no matter what, but we have to, to make some different decisions. And I want to submit to you this morning, it's, it's not necessarily a complicated decision. It may not even be a, a change of habitual decision-making. It could just be one great decision. You could be one great decision from changing everything about your life. We see it in Joshua chapter 2 when the, uh, the two uh, men are sent out uh, from the people of God, from Israel, it's before uh, the people of Israel, before they're to in, uh, inherit the promised land, we see them in Jericho, right? And they're kind of, they're spying, they're gathering information, they're checking out the lay of the land, and they're gonna be killed if they're not protected by this woman named Rahab. We see Rahab, Rahab in the Old Testament, Joshua chapter two. We don't know a lot about uh, her life, but we do know that she was a prostitute, and we do know that this prostitute took in two people that we're following the purpose of God, and then in one decision, she said, hey, I helped you. When you come and take the city, you better help me. Remember, they told her to hang the rope out, and she was saved. We see in James chapter 2 that she was counted righteous based off of her actions. We, we know what her lifestyle was before. We don't know all the things that transpired in those conversations, but we do know that based off of her actions, she was counted righteous. So if God can use a prostitute in the Old Testament to pave the way for his people to enter the promised land just based off of saying, hey, I'm gonna do some things different. I'm gonna change my actions, one right decisions. We cannot disqualify ourselves. I, 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 don't, I don't know where you've been, what you've done, and this may even be your story, but if, if, if God can use somebody like Rahab, if he can use the woman caught in adultery, if he can use the woman at the well that's been married and divorced and in adultery and she can lead revival in a whole community. Too many times we disqualify ourselves and I'm here to tell you that God can use you in spite of you. God can use you in spite of what you've done, that his grace is sufficient for you, but there's something that needs to change. Rahab the prostitute, she was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. I wanna give you something today, just very, very practically, to meet you wherever you are, in your flaws, and your, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me moment. I wanna give you a really practical solution. I need you to write this down. Today, more than anything else, more than some big master plan, 
I just need you to make the next right decision. Come on, in your relationship journey, I need you to make the next right decision. Your marriage is struggling today, next right decision. You're overcome with anxiety and depression and and you feel so heavy in the world. How am I gonna get through this, Pastor? I don't know how you're gonna get through it, but I know the power, the presence of God will see you through it. But what he's calling you to do is make the next right decision. When it comes to your your purpose and, and what am I gonna do? What does God have for me? I don't know what he has for you, but I know the way to get there is the next right decision. Because when those start to stack up, we start to form new habits. When we have new habits, we have new routines, we have new thoughts, we have new emotions because now we're doing different things. We start stacking up some next right decisions. Now we go from a losing streak to a winning streak. We go from being overwhelmed to a little bit lighter because we're allowing God, the Spirit of God, to lead us and move us and shape us. And he's changing some things. The Bible declares his mercies are new every morning. We're so obsessed with the future, and what am I gonna do? How am I gonna get out of this? And God's just calling you to make the next right decision. Just the next one. For some of you Swifties in here, the next right decision is stop saying cap, busting, and sus. (laughs) Moving on, moving on. When it comes to next right decisions, have you ever, are you like me, do you read scripture Sometimes you just get like a Bible reading plan or you just read it. You talk about Rahab. Like Rahab is a prostitute and these strangers are coming in, but she feels led by the Spirit of God to, to save them and hide them and then release them. And can we just talk about everything that's going on there? Like the messengers are there and she knows if she's found out she's gonna be killed. Rahab's reality had to be kind of tough, right? She had to struggle with, with fear, she had to struggle with anxiety and depression. I mean, she was a prostitute now risking her life to save strangers. She had to struggle with regret, maybe even all of her failures and what has life come to. But she made one right decision. And when we make that decision, we trade what's wrong with us for what's right with God. And the good news of the gospel is that this decision, just one right decision to change our path, to change our ways, or to invite Jesus into our life, that decision, that declaration gives us more power, more grace, more strength. And if you've not surrendered your life to Jesus today, that is your next right decision. That is the answer to what you're struggling with. I want you to know that that God can use you in spite of you. So pastor, I'm disqualified. Rahab was a prostitute. You're not disqualified. Sin is not an excuse not to be used by God. Well, I've done too much. Well, I'm stuck. You're stuck in your past because you haven't given it to God. We said it like this before. Your your past will always be your, your present until you present it to God. Like, I'll be, I'll be stuck here and can never live here if I don't offer everything that I've ever done. Say, God, I don't know why I did it. I don't know why I said it. I don't know why I was the way that I was. But now I'm, I'm presenting my past so that my present and my future can be different. Sin, your sin is not an excuse. Look at David. Look at Paul. 
Look at Matthew. Look at Rahab. Look at the adulterous woman. Look at all of these people. Sin is not an excuse. But grace is not an excuse to stay where you are. God can use you wherever you are, but he will not leave you there. How many of you know Rahab had to make a change? And it was changing the way she lived. It wasn't just changing the way she presented herself. I don't think prostitutes for Jesus would be a very popular selling t-shirt. Kind of contradictory. So what I'm saying is our flaws may lead us to Jesus. Our flaws may, may lead us into relationship with others, but we can't stay living in our flaws and in our sin and in our shame. Sin is not an excuse to keep us from God, but grace is no excuse to stay in our sin. At some point, your past has to be your past. Yes, God can use you, but no, he doesn't want you to stay there. God can use an alcoholic. He can use a drug addict. He can use an adulterer. He can use somebody who's been abused or been an abuser. He can redeem. He can restore. But eventually that has to be your story, not your current reality. We have to get to a point where we say, it's me. Hi. I'm the problem. Nobody else. Well, they, 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 they did. They are not going to be on your day of eternity. At some point, I'm sorry it happened. We have freedom, we have counseling, and we have intensives, and I've done all of those. There is real trauma and real pain and real hurt in your past, but eventually, whether you did it or it was done to you, you have to say, the mistakes that I'm making and the world that I've created, it's not my dad, it's not my mom, it's not my uncle, it's not my grandparents, it's not what somebody else did. Hi, I, it's me. I'm the problem. It's my sin that put Jesus on the cross. It's my mistakes that crucified him. There's nobody else, it's me. And I acknowledge and I repent, and then I change. Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, he said, there's nobody left to condemn you, neither do I. Go and sin no more. It's a certain point that you say, I'm the problem, it's me. And then we open up our mind and we open up our heart and we allow the presence of God to begin to change us. He will heal and change anything that you allow him to. But you gotta have that moment, that moment of real conviction and repentance and say, God, it's me. Let's read this in Isaiah 53 as we close. Isaiah 53. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. It's talking about Jesus, by the way. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. 
He was despised and we did not care. This is us in our sin. This is describing us. This is not a historical uh, uh, a document talking about what people did to Jesus. This is what you and I did in, in our sin and our shame. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. We were the problem and he was the solution. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Check this out. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. And he was whipped so that we could be healed. He stepped in as the main character of your story and he took all the things that you deserved. He took the sin and the shame and traded his righteousness. But we do have a part to play to start this relationship. And it is so eloquently stated by the prophetess Taylor Swift. How do I come to know Jesus? We have a real conversation with God and we say, hi God, hi. It's me. I'm the problem. Nobody else. Me. And you fill in the blank with what those problems are. And you say, God, could you, could you help me? Could you restore some things that I've broken? Could you fix some things that I've ruined? Could you heal some things that are hurting? And what I promise you is that when you acknowledge that you are a sinner, that you have the ability to receive a savior, and he's been waiting for that moment. We think that he's waiting in anger. He's waiting with open arms, the Bible declares. Luke chapter 15, father runs to meet his lost son. And when we say, hey, I'm not gonna blame the past anymore. I'm just gonna return going to return to the Father who loves me, a relationship with Jesus that saved me and set me free, and a relationship with the Holy Spirit that can empower me throughout the rest of my life. I believe that's a moment for dozens of you today where you're going to acknowledge it's me, I'm the problem, and Jesus is the solution. I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now across all of our locations, every head bowed, every eye closed. We've talked around it, but just to be clear, Jesus, the perfect son of God, lived a perfect life for you because you could not, I could not, died a sinner's death as you, like in your place. That's the exchange of sin and shame for his righteousness. God no longer sees you as you are. He sees you as he sees Jesus because of that ultimate sacrifice. And then Jesus' resurrection from the grave gives us power over sin in the grave. Romans says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we can and will be saved. What does that look like? It looks just like what we sang about and talked about. It is standing in front of that spiritual mirror and saying, I'm the problem, it's me. Can you save me? Can you change me? Can you set me free? It's no longer I that live, that Christ that lives in me. I am surrendering my will to yours. If you want to do that today across all of our locations, I want to pray with you in just a moment, but I want to know who I'm praying for. 
if you would today say that I am the problem, it's me, and I want to receive Jesus as the solution by making him the Lord of my life. Would you raise your hand right where you are before we pray? Say, I'm the problem, it's me, and I need Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. Yep. Several of you on the floor. Yep, 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 yep. A dozen or so in the stadium. Oviedo in Sanford. On Action Online. Put your hands down. If you raise your hand, pray this in your heart as I pray it out loud. Say this. Say, God, I love you. And God, I thank you for saving me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I'm saved only by your grace. And I am confessing with my mouth and I'm believing in my heart that you, Jesus, are Lord. And God, I give you that place today. Complete control. God, have your way in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And God, I pray for all of us. I, I pray that we would give you, all of us today, our, our strengths and our weaknesses. God, allow us to use our, our weaknesses and give them to you for your glory, your, to watch your power be made perfect as we struggle and struggle well towards what you have for us. God, I pray that we would know that we are called to be used by you. God, I pray practically this week that whatever area we're struggling with or you're calling us to, that we would make the next right decision. In Jesus' name. We love you. We praise you in this place. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody at Action Church said amen and amen. Church, can we celebrate all the decisions that were just made? Come on, really celebrate them. So proud of you.